Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month program. This is Steve Anderson. From time to time, we invite select dentists to share 21 things that have made them a better dentist as part of a series within the Mentor of the Month. Our mentor this month has a unique background that combines corporate business, dentistry, insurance, and education. His professional experience is broad, variety-filled, and has touched many diverse parts of the dental industry. Let me give you a quick summary of his history. Dr. Peter Barnett received his dental degree in 1977 and an MBA from the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School of Business in 1979. He performed a combined general dentistry and healthcare administration residency at the University of Rochester Eastman Dental Institute. After his residency, he returned to Penn for five years as a faculty member and clinic administrator for a pilot program to train dental students and residents in a preceptorship model. He then was recruited to Pearl Health Services, the parent company of Pearl Vision Centers, to run their dental practice division. Over the next eight years, Dr. Barnett held a variety of positions culminating as Senior Vice President of Franchising, Professional Affairs, and Quality for Pearl Vision, overseeing over half the company's business operation in 1,100 stores. He went on to work with executives at the former Voluntary Hospitals of America to develop physician hospital organizations. He was then recruited to join Prudential to develop a new business model to fully integrate dental into the company's medical insurance business. In 1995, he became the chief operating officer for United Dental Care, a dental benefits company where, as a senior executive, he excuse me, participated in the company's acquisitions, integration, and initial public offering and eventual sale to Protective Life of Birmingham, Alabama. He went on to co-found Health ASPX, a third-party administrator e-commerce business, and Denex, a startup dental insurance company in the greater D.C. area. He's also served as a member of the board of directors of Collagenics Pharmaceuticals, a specialty dental and dermatologic pharmaceutical company, chairman of the board of the National Association of Dental Plans, and vice chair of Solvency Surveillance Committee for the Texas Department of Insurance, among other things. So after all of that, in 2003, Dr. Barnett left the corporate world to start his own dental practice, Star Ranch Dental in Plano, Texas, where he practices today. So with that, we welcome Dr. Peter Barnett as our Crown Council Mentor of the Month to share the things that he feels have made him a better dentist. Peter, welcome, and thank you in advance for sharing your wisdom today. Uh, you have one of the most colorful backgrounds of anything uh, anyone I think we have ever had as a as a mentor of the month in in this series so we are eager to hear your wisdom and uh, your experience well thank you steve i've i've been described in a lot of ways i'm not sure colorful has been used before <laughs> you can add that to your resume i'll add that to my resume i i appreciate the opportunity i appreciate your your kind invitation and uh and the introduction, and uh, and I appreciate uh, those of you that are listening uh, taking the time to do so. Um, <clears throat> you, you know, it's uh, sometimes it's hard to come up with 21 things that uh, that you can isolate, but um, I, I've certainly 
looked over the last couple of weeks as uh, as this process has evolved to to try and identify over the last 37 years what uh, what's gone on and and how how have I kind of arrived here so that uh, perhaps some others uh, um, who, who do not have 37 years of experience might uh, might find them of, of use. I, I would uh, I chose to start with continuing education as uh, the probably the first thing that's made me a better dentist and um, uh, along with I'm sure a number of people who are listening today um, the um, the process of understanding what we do and how we do it uh, has changed so much 37 years ago as I tell my patients which are the dark ages in terms of what dentistry was and um, although that's not quite accurate, uh, I, I went to a place at the University of Pennsylvania that um, many considered, um, you know, one of the better schools in terms of restorative and periodontal uh, understanding. And um, but that was a long time ago. And uh, as an example, we didn't use gloves, we didn't use masks, um, we didn't have the types of issues that we have today. So. Uh, many of the things that we did were, were not nearly as comfortable for patients and um, were not nearly as, uh, as effective as they are today. Continuing education was, uh, was the way that I've learned over the last uh, number of years that, that I learned how to practice dentistry. Um, that takes nothing away from my teachers. It takes nothing away from my fellow students. Um, but understanding um, the changes and the growth in, in what we do and the ways that we do things, there is so little that any of us do today that is anything like what we learned in school, certainly for those of us who graduated in, in the 70s. Um, continuing education has played probably the most significant role. Um, it's not just about the hours that you get, and, and I know there are people out there who are just looking to try and fulfill their license requirements with hours, but it's making the hours count. It's about challenging ourselves to learn all that we can about what we currently do, how to improve our process, and, and how to um, get better. We need to know about things we're not doing, too. I, I, I firmly believe that um, probably the best thing that we can do and and I am a general dentist. Steve didn't mention that, but I but I am a general dentist. I'm I'm very happy about that. Um, probably the best thing that we can do for our patients is to be that true captain of the team. Um, so many times patients will uh, get referred for something that we cannot do, and find themselves in a position of trying to explain to the specialist what's going on and what needs to be done. And our role, as I perceive it is to understand enough about all of these various processes and pieces so that we can help the specialist do what needs to be done in the patient's best interest, um, rather than just turning them out and, uh, and letting them figure it out themselves. That requires an understanding of things that we don't do every day. And so I, I really believe that continuing education was probably um, number one on my list and, uh, and should be on anybody's list in terms of uh, of understanding how to practice dentistry in a way that is completely different from what we learned in school. <clears throat> I, I think the second thing that I, I chose to talk about was something that, that I have found in, in talking with folks over the years sometimes gets lost, and that's I think it's important to be clear on why we wanted to be a dentist in the first place. Um, Lots of people talk about your why. 
We talk about it from the standpoint of, of understanding patients. We talk about it from the standpoint of helping patients make decisions, whether it's selling more treatment or getting them more involved in the practice or taking more responsibility. But the why from our standpoint is why did we want to do this in the first place? And I think it's about making a life and a work plan that helps us attain that. Um, it comes into play over and over. And when, when the days are long, when you, know, you have frustrating patients, when the procedures are not going the way you want, um, when sometimes you feel like it's a, it's a rat race, you can reflect back on why you wanted to be a dentist in the first place, and that should, uh, that should become a part of resetting uh, our enthusiasm. It should become a part of understanding why we are not in a position to be able to uh, not, not be in a position to be able to, to not have things the way that we want. Our why is our center. It's, our, it's, it's the reason we do what we do, why we get up every day. Um, and I consider that to be a really critical piece of, uh, of, of who we are and what we, what we aspire to be. Um, along with that, I think, goes uh, an issue of, uh, or a matter of perspective and, uh, and maturity. Um, I was ready to go when I first got out of school in my residency. I, I thought I, I knew an awful lot. Um, I realize now that, uh, boy, it isn't about what I know, but it's about asking people what they want and um, trying to work with them. It's not about me, and that is something that I, I, it took me a long time to learn. And I think that it's, it's made me more effective as uh, not just as a family person, but it's made me more effective as a, as a boss. It's made me more effective as a, a communicator with patients. Um, Along with that, you know, goes the whole issue of taking responsibility. Um, I think a lot of people start out thinking that uh, the issues are their issues, and perspective, maturity, um, growth, and, and development helps us understand that we are in, not in a position to uh, to be responsible for everybody else. We are there to help them. Uh, I think everybody listening uh, understands that uh, the, the root of the term doctor is, is teacher. Um, helper is certainly a closely allied term, and that's our role, and that's what it should be. Um, we shouldn't be in a position where we're um, trying to, to be responsible for every person in our practice. Um, along with that, I would, would include uh, happiness. Find happiness in the small successes of your team. Um, those folks are, are there to support us, to help us. We try to invest and reinvest in our staff and our practice as a way of supporting them and helping them be successful. Um, that type of stuff helps us from the perspective, from, from a level of maturity, understand what goes into developing a good practice because those types of, of opportunities uh, are what help us do our job better, not just easier, but just better. Um, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in surrounding myself with really smart, capable people. Um, I'm probably not very good with people who are not as smart and capable as I'd like them to be, but I, that's, you know, I, I sure try to do that. Um, but we, we want smart, capable people around us. It's those type of people who are able to help us be more successful. They're 
more mature. They're able to listen to people. They're able to help them make decisions that work for them. Um, and that's what what is about uh, what is important to us. So we want people who are capable of listening. We want to be, you know, Steve, Steve talks about asking. Um, asking is so critical, um, and we, it's something we all have to practice every day. But, um, but that perspective and maturity that comes um, with, with developing yourself and developing your practice is, is an important part of that. And so I would include besides um, the, the issues of understanding yourself and, <clears throat> and being clear on why and learning more, I would include the, the investment and the reinvestment and the people that we have being happy with, with, uh, with their successes and listening because I think all of those things are important and, and they come with, with the maturity that we get as we've developed ourselves outside of the office and, and over the years. I think it's important to have a broad-based education. I had, before I went to dental school, a liberal arts education. Like most people who are listening, I was a biology major, um, but I was fortunate enough to go to a small liberal arts school. And the, the opportunity to do things, be exposed to things, and explore things outside the field of dentistry to bring that into the practice is something that I think is really important. There are some things that are are tried and true in, in terms of what we do. Um, there are a lot of concepts that translate into the dental environment from other business models as well. Uh, we can talk about customer service, we can look at hotels, you can look at airlines, you can look at spas. Maybe airlines are not such a great example, but they seem to be doing better lately. Um, I, I, I prefer to have people who are capable of thinking outside of the box because for my way of practicing, I have found that, that when we take people, when we find people who are working with us, whether they're patients or whether they're staff, and they are narrow in their view of things, we tend to have a much less interesting approach to life. Um, <clears throat> I tend to hire younger staff. There are advantages to staff that have had lots more experience, um, but sometimes they tend to be a little bit more rigid in their worldview. For me, finding things outside of the field of dentistry is one of the ways that I find my practice and my life tends to be more interesting, more engaging, and more involved. Um, I don't want to be narrow in my worldview. I want to be broad. And for me, engaged outside of the field of dentistry, understanding how other things in life and in society um, matter in terms of our practices uh, is an important part of what, uh, what we try to do. Um, be willing to try new things. I, I, I would venture to guess that virtually every person listening today uh, is someone who is willing to try new things just by virtue of your involvement in this program. Um, but there are 160,000 or so dentists in the United States, and we represent a very small percentage. Um, but trying new things, embracing change, those are really important areas. Um, to try and, and make sure that our practices are all that they can possibly be and that we are enjoying ourselves. Um, I, I started out 
wanting a fee-for-service practice because I'd been a dentist for about 30 years. But I had to, I had to embrace the fact, I had to accept the fact um, that at the time when the economy was behaving the way that it was 10 years ago, a little less than 10 years ago, that we needed to make some other decisions. And so while I wasn't thrilled about the idea of becoming an in-network PPO dentist, um, I believed that our growth, our survival, our ability to be effective for our patients required that we do that. I'm certainly not advocating that for everybody, but I am using it as an example of how sometimes you have to respond to the environment, and sometimes you have to change and adapt. And that ability to change and adapt is important no matter what's going on. Um, the issue of how you make your decisions, regardless of what those decisions are, um, is what this point is about. You need to take a look at what the environment is doing. You need to understand where things are going. Um, you need to constantly think about what kind of practice you want to be, and you need to make the changes along the way that will allow you to get there. Um, don't be afraid to try or change new things. We need to learn from our mistakes. Um, sometimes the change that's necessary is important for us to deal with it from a mistake that we made, and sometimes it's necessary for us to come along and deal with it in terms of what's going on um, in the environment around us that is greater and, and something over which we had nothing, no control of. Um, so embracing change, accepting things, willing to try new things, um, those are important. Those are our absolutely critical pieces of what we do. And, and those new things may very well be clinical. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, that, that people may, uh, may be aware of and that needs to, be, uh, needs to be considered is the role, you know, the digital role in, in the world today. And I'm not talking just about paperless because I'm sure most of you are paperless at this point. But, you know, whether you, whether you use digital scanning or not, whether you use in-office milling or not, um, you know, that may be something that's short-term. At some point, 3D printing is going to be a reality for dentistry. I'm not advocating it. I'm simply pointing it out as an example of something that is a new technique, something that's coming along. Well, our ability to adapt to these types of changes, our understanding of different types of disease processes, for example, the role of inflammation, not just bacteria, but inflammation and periodontal disease, is a critical piece of our ability to embrace change, to adapt uh, and to look at new ways of doing things. That's an important aspect um, in our ability to be effective and efficient and productive for our, for our staff, for our families, and for our, for our patients. Um, so embracing change, willing to try new things, I think those are really, really critical things. Um, I talked a little bit about the, uh, the, the, the group of people that you choose to surround yourself with. I'm older, um, obviously having been out for 37 years, and as I said, I prefer to hire younger people. They give me a certain level of energy. They, they bring a, a, an ability to the practice that just feels different. Um, and if, if many of you um, have been with your staff for a long period of time, I'm not advocating that you change your staff just for this reason, 
But when you get the opportunity to make a change, when somebody leaves or moves on, um, I think you need to take a look at what's important to you and what you're trying to accomplish. For me, what was important was have surrounding myself with people who were complementary to me, both in temperament, in, an, in, in emotion, um, in emotional quotient, in EQ, for those of you that are familiar with that term as opposed to IQ. Um, balancing yourself, I think, is important. And giving patients an opportunity to feel comfortable with a variety of types of personalities and a variety of, um, of people who can meet their needs so that they don't feel like there's only one way to do things in the office. Um, I needed people who were better communicators than I was, who were extroverts, because that's not my greatest strength. I can go into a room and, and talk to patients and know that, that the people around me, my assistants and, and front office folks, are going to build a, a fantastic relationship with the patient, and it's not all about me. Um, yes, it's important that, that I have a relationship with the person and that you know I deliver certain things, but I'm not the only person in the office, and I'm not the only person that they can have a relationship. And many times, I'm an afterthought in the relationship, and that's okay with me. That's how I view it. I'm not suggesting that for everyone, but I do think what's important is that you think through that process for yourself and that you understand what's important to you and what you're trying to accomplish so that you can make the right types of staffing decisions. Picking the right type of people for the type of practice that you want to have is probably the most critical piece. Put all the other stuff aside. If you practice dentistry the same way that you practiced in dental school, you probably could do okay if you had the right staff because the right group of people around you, the right team members, are the folks who are going to help make that thing work. And at the end of the day, as long as we're doing good clinical work, then it's all about the people. So making, making dentistry a, a dance of, of balancing the right personality types to make the whole office go is, I think, a really, really critical piece. I talked about challenging myself. <clears throat> I didn't talk about systems. Um, yeah, I, there is a business background in me, and so I need to at least bring systems into the, the forefront. Um, what we do is to try and make everything as predictable and understandable across the, the group of team members as we possibly can. What we found is that there are, the larger you become, the more people that are involved, um, the more critical having things defined and documented and addressed become. Uh, it's not enough to simply identify something and, and expect that people are going to know what to do. It's important that people get it. And in order to get it, they have to learn. And in order to learn, they have to have something that they can study. And that's what systems do. They give us a foundation. They give us a baseline. They give us an ability to define what it is we're trying to accomplish and how we're trying to accomplish it. And that allows us to make the changes when changes need to be made. When somebody leaves, when they go out and, on maternity leave, or when they even just go on an extended absence because of an illness, um, whatever it is, when you need to bring somebody else in, having a system in place that defines what it is they're supposed to do becomes a critical component of 
how you can define your practice so that you don't lose ground. We work so hard to make the progress that we make, we don't want to then revert and have things back up on us. I'm choosy in who I hire. I, I don't make any bones about it. Um, we're very particular. Sometimes it means that we all have to work a lot harder because we're, we just haven't found the right person. But we are choosy. That goes along with my earlier comments about making sure that we have the type of practice that we want, surrounding ourselves with the right type of people, um, creating the right type of atmosphere and environment. All of those things require that you have the right person, but you've got to know what that right person is. Once you identify what types of characteristics that person has that you want in your practice, then you have to go find them. And in today's world, it's not enough to simply put an ad in a paper or post something online. Sometimes you've got to use social media and tap people on the shoulders. I'm not particularly good at that, but I do have people I work with who are. And because of that, we're able to get some pretty good people. Sometimes you've got to go out and find what you want. But in order to do that, go back to systems. You've got to know what it is you want. You've got to know who you want. You've got to be able to define it. And that's a critical piece of, of what's there. Um, <clears throat> it may sound trite, but I'm going to include as one of my things, do the right thing. Um, I, I think I would venture to guess that everybody believes they do the right thing all the time. But I think sometimes we don't. It's not because we necessarily are bad people, but doing the right thing means the patient doing the right thing for your, your team members, for your family. we got to ask how we'd like to be treated. You know, sometimes we all get, and I'm as guilty as the next person, we all get a little rigid sometimes. There are very few of us, I can think of a few, but very few of us, who every single time are going to make the call and say, how would I like to be treated in that, in the, in that situation? Our goal you know, the, when we were all little, we learned the golden rule. Our goal needs to be treat others as we would like to be treated ourselves. And that's, our, that, that's just not always easy to do. We get busy. Um, we, we, we deal with people who are not particularly considerate of, of our time or our skills or our knowledge or any of a number of things. Do the right thing. That's, that's something that we always need to remember. Um, and probably one of the simplest things I believe that we can do to make us a better dentist. It's something I have to be reminded of regularly, but it's on my list, and I hope that you, it should be on yours as well. <clears throat> I, um, I included in here, and maybe I should have talked about it under continuing education, but um, I included push yourself to achieve more. Don't become complacent. I really think that's a critical piece. Yes, I've been doing this for 37 years. A number of you maybe have done it for longer, and many of you maybe have not done it quite that long. But I can tell you that I'm not tired of it, and I'm not tired of it because there is so much that's different. Um, you know, one of the things that made me a better dentist were simple clinical things, like you know, using a laser for perio or for, for TMD. Um, one of the things
things that I think made me a better dentist, even though I, I came from a school where, where this concept would be considered heresy, was talking about neuromuscular. Um, I'm not advocating any of that stuff for any particular person. What I'm advocating is that you push yourself, that you don't get stuck in a rut. I think the best way to be the best dentist that you can be is to not do things the same way all the time. Now, I'm not referring to clinical techniques. You have a bonding technique that works and you never have issues. I've got one. I'm sure you do too. That's going to be done the same way every time. But there isn't a whole lot of what we do, as I said a long time uh, ago in, this, in the beginning of this, that I do the same way I learned in dental school or residency. And, you know, lasers didn't exist back then in the way they do now. Neuromuscular certainly didn't exist. I came from a, a school that, you know, was centric relation. That these things didn't exist. They certainly were considered heresy by those who might have talked about it. But the fact of the matter is that there are aspects of just about everything out there that are, can be used in our practices that will improve what we do and that will help us every day do the right thing for our patients. So pushing ourselves to achieve more, to learn more, not to do things the same all the time just because that's what we learned and we're comfortable with, I think that's a critical piece. It's what helps us become better as an individual, and better individuals are going to make better dentists. Um, I talked about systems. Part of systems, I'm going to jump back to that, is to set goals and measure everything. Um, that's not something that most dentists do. Uh, I think most dentists look at it and, you know, about the most that they're going to measure is cash flow because if they got more cash in the bank at the end of the year than they did um, at the beginning or they have more cash than they spent, then they're happy. But, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to be very effective if all we do is look at, at, at the balance sheet that way, or in this case, the cash flow. Um, we need to understand more. And, and in understanding more, we have the ability to be more effective with our patients and with our team members. In order to do that, you've got to know what those goals are. You've got to define those things. But you have to measure your ability to accomplish it. I, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a detail person. I won't, I won't you know, shy away from that. I believe that attention to detail clinically is something that's critical. I think most of you would agree. But I think attention to detail on the business side of what we do and attention to detail on the patient experience side is equally important. Most patients, and I know you all know this, most patients can't tell anything about the clinical quality of what we do. Heck, half the time, even if we observe each other, we can't tell what's going on. Um, it's just very difficult because of the, the minute tolerances of what we have to deal with. But what patients do know is how they're cared for, how they're made to feel. And paying attention to the details in that, in the way that your place feels, in the way that it smells, in the way that they're greeted, those are critical things. I'm sure many of you have been in practices where you walk in or you hear from patients that they walked in and nobody greets them. They're ignored. Um, those types of things I think are, are, are important and patients view them as important. 
And they're not difficult, but they are details. And helping our group, our, our team, understand how those details are, um, are implemented is a critical piece of what, uh, what we do. So I, I am a detailed person. Most dentists, in my experience, are. There is an awful lot of anal retentiveness and, and OCD that goes on, I think, to be a dentist. Um, but sometimes we forget that, that, that those, those compulsions that we have are not just about the clinical techniques that we use, but need to be about the entire business aspect so that we can be as effective and as good and appreciated by our patients for the areas outside the mouth as they are inside the mouth. I believe that probably the most important thing <clears throat> is holding myself to a high ethical standard. I talked about doing the right thing. Most times they are related, but not always. My ethical standard is an internal document. It's something that, that I measure myself against. I think that um, I have to consider everything I do against my ethics. I need to understand the implications of decisions that I make. Most all of the time I can do the right thing and it falls within my ethics. Um, but my ethical standards may exceed my ability to do the right thing. And that happens sometimes. Sometimes eth high ethical standards are going to require me to make decisions that may not be possible with patients because patients may ask for things that I can't do, either clinically or because my philosophy won't allow it. Extracting a perfectly good tooth is an example of that. Doing the right thing, well, doing the right thing may say you take it out because that's what the patient wants and it's their decision. But my ethical standards may not allow me to do that. It may be a nuance for you, but I think understanding how those two things relate and spending some time focusing on those two things understanding where you come out, what's important to you, what you're willing to do, what you're not willing to do, and how you put that together with <clears throat> all of the other things that we've talked about in terms of pushing yourself and not becoming complacent and learning new things and investing in yourself with new, new techniques and new understandings through continuing education and hiring the right people around you. At the end of the day, you've got to understand where those lines are for you and help you figure out why it makes sense to you. If you can do that, then I believe that you can provide not only good clinical care, I believe that you can provide a good business experience for your team, for your patients, obviously for us, each of us, Having the right financial outcomes is important to us, not something we should shy away from. But we've got to know how to get there. And the roadmap for that, for me, is this issue of defining doing the right thing and high ethical standards. If I do all the other stuff, if 
I learn new things, if I hire the right people, if I put the right systems in place, if I set my goals, if I incorporate new techniques, if I'm choosy about who the people are that I bring on, if I listen to people, um, if I can be happy as we, as we are successful, if I can help them be successful, if I pay attention to the details and I learn from my mistakes and, and I learn, as I said, new things, if I'm, if I'm true to, to why I wanted to be a dentist in the first place, if I do all of that, then I think at the end of the day, I've made myself a better dentist. Steve? Thanks, Peter, and I appreciate your, uh, your great advice. Uh, maybe to wrap up, you could share just a couple of uh, additional things. You have had a very interesting journey of going through education in the corporate world um, and and doing a lot of things in the corporate uh, realm and then going into private practice. If you had to do it all over again um, and you were sitting with somebody who is embarking on a dental career, what would you tell them to do the same or different from what you've done? If they were going to be a general dentist, I absolutely would would encourage them to do a general practice residency or some type of advanced training. Um, I would I would be hard pressed to imagine that anybody listening today um, would believe that you can come out of dental school today and and know enough or have the clinical skills or confidence to be as effective as you could possibly be in helping people. So I think some type of advanced training is a critical aspect. Um, I think that finding someone, and I was fortunate in this respect early on in, in my career, Finding someone to help you understand what you need to focus on clinically and how to go about doing that so that you can grow and develop in a measured fashion and a measured pace, I think is important. So networking is a critical aspect, I think, for a young dentist, whether you consider it a simple mentorship or whether one considers the, the advantages today that weren't there when those of us who graduated in the 70s came out uh, in terms of what social media and groups like Crown Council and others um, had, what they bring to the table, which is the ability to talk and interact with other dentists to learn about things in a way that was never presented in dental school. So for my money, the answer to your question is simply um, to to get it some advanced education, some further education, if you will, uh, and to find a way to connect with either a mentor or into a network that is going to help provide you with some guidance as you as you grow and develop. Thank you for that. Um, one other question having to do with insurance, you've been on both sides of the dental insurance equation on the corporate side and now in the private practice side. Um, any insights that you've had being on the practitioner side, now having a 360-degree perspective on 
dental benefits, dental insurance? Um, I guess my my response to that would be that uh, I think, as most practicing dentists understand, it is a difficult situation for the patient because it is little understood. Um, Most patients view it the way they view medical insurance, which is incorrect. It is a coupon. It is a chit um, that provides you with a certain dollar amount. Um, Those dollar amounts have changed very little over the last 40-plus years. And as a result, um, I think the expectation that uh, that practitioners have uh, and that patients have are at odds in terms of what insurance will will provide. Um, it's a difficult situation for the the practice, um, and at the end of the day, uh, I think as most practitioners recognize, the the goals of the insurance company. The goals of the patient and the goals of the practitioner are not in line, and uh, I think it's very difficult for for those folks to uh, to make that work in a way that makes everybody happy. Got it, Peter. Thank you so much for sharing your your experience and your wisdom today. Appreciate. Uh, all that you bring to the table, uh, not only today but ongoing. Appreciate your uh, your posts on the email network as well. It's always good to to hear from your your experience from all that you've done in the past. Thanks so much for being our mentor of the month this month. My pleasure, and again, I appreciate your consideration. Mm-hmm.